Welcome to another episode of Leadership Moments with author, professor, and John Maxwell Certified Business and Executive Coach, David McNamee. This show is for everyone who wants to learn, grow, and do the hard work of becoming a better servant leader. Whether you're a veteran leader of people or you're just getting started, we can all improve our leadership at home, at work, and in our communities. This weekly show gives you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you develop your servant leadership skills. And now, here's your host. Hello, my friends. This is David McNamee, and I'm your host at uh, Leadership Moments. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in and being with us today. Before we begin today, I want to let you know about an upcoming Mastermind Group. Now, if you haven't heard about Mastermind Groups before, they're an event where we get together with a small group of like-minded people, and, and I'm really good at tossing out thought bombs for the group to wrestle around with. And uh, the North Clackamas Chamber of Commerce, my good friends over at the North Clackamas Chamber of Commerce, are hosting my latest mastermind group starting in January 2017. Now, I know that seems like a long way away, but if you're thinking about what to do in the new year, this is a great event to put on your calendar for seven weeks starting January 26th, ending on March 9th. We will be exploring one of John Maxwell's classic books, Leadership Gold. My friends, the path to leadership begins with a question that only a few of us ever ask ourselves, and that is, how do I lead myself? In Leadership Gold, John Maxwell presents 26 insights, not just for those who aspire to positions of leadership, but also for veteran leaders who aim to build and improve upon the steps that led them to the front of the line. So I'm inviting you. Join me at the North Clackamas Chamber of Commerce for this great mastermind group. You can register by visiting the North Clackamas Chamber website at www.yourchamber.com or at my website, www.foundationsforleaders.com. And we're also putting a link up on the uh, KKPZ Facebook page. So I'm hoping you'll sign up and I'd love to see you there. My guest today on Leadership Moments is Dr. Erin Foley. Uh, This is an interesting young lady. She's a former, maybe I should say recovering professor (laughs) of communications. And she's turned uh, professional speaker and life coach. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So, so place yourself on the spectrum. Tell me why you're doing what you're doing now and why you've chosen the point at, to put your practice where it is. You know, it's interesting because I resisted being where I am right now for a long, long time. Um, I spent most of my adult life in graduate school pursuing this PhD and pursuing this career that I thought I really wanted. So you can imagine it was a bit of a shock to me when I finally kind of admitted to myself that I'm not sure I want to be in academics. And a lot of student loans later and a lot of years later, I was thinking, no way, this can't be true. I have a great career. You know, I'm a great teacher. My ego was kind of invested in what I was doing. But the truth was, I found myself in my classes drawn to talking to the students about anxiety, conflict, what was going on in their life. At the beginning of my classes, I would do something where I would say, 
you know, how are you? Tell me about your weekend. Tell me what's going on. And it was my favorite part of every class because I got to really talk to students about what was happening in their daily lives. So, you know, when I started to feel kind of depleted and bored in my job and just disconnected from the material that I was teaching, I resisted it for a while. I remember, you know, being in a faculty meeting and listening to my colleagues talk about how excited they were for this upcoming conference on rhetorical theory. And for me, going to academic conferences was a bit of a torture chamber. I was miserable and bored and just wondering when it was going to be over and trying to go to the least amount of presentations as possible. And I remember listening to them and thinking, like, what would it feel like to be this excited about the content of what I worked with all the time. And that was kind of the light bulb moment for me when I realized, okay, I have to really think about what it is I want to do. And there's no question that if you had described coaching to me, I would have said, yeah, that sounds amazing. But the term life coaching, I thought, meh, that sounds kind of hokey. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. Mm -hmm. So I spent time, I really had a bit of an identity crisis, a life crisis, I went into, you know, I did therapy, I got my own coaching, I started to really look into happiness and life fulfillment and passion, um, and get honest with myself. And I would say I was someone that bridged my way then into this new career for me. Um, I'm several years in now, I started as a speaker, um, as a full time speaker, because it was a little bit easier for me to transition into that speaking on college campuses across the country. And I felt like I know this area, I know this audience, um, but truly knew I wanted to be a full-time coach. So about two years ago, I finally flipped the script and did coaching full-time and speaking as kind of my side gig. So it's been an adventure. And, you know, the only regret I have is that I just didn't have the courage to do it sooner. Mm. What specific need are you meeting with your practice? So I work primarily with women, although I have coached men, but find that women are sort of um, drawn to my practice the most. And I deal with women, professional women, they're very savvy, and they have kind of a phenomenon that's similar to how I lived my life, which was from the outside, they appear very confident. They have sort of all the ingredients for a life that is supposed to be happy and fulfilling and engaging. And sort of people look at them and think, you've got it all together. And they, they sort of ride this line of feeling like they have it all together, but internally, they're really kind of struggling. They're dealing with issues of perfectionism and expectations that are really high and worrying about other people's judgments a lot. So some of the women that come to me are needing a change. Like they're about to leave their career or they've started a new career. Some women just can't figure out how to be present in the life that they have, how to be joyful, how to feel connected. They're experiencing a lot of sort of anxiety and mind chatter and angst. Um, And so that's really who comes to my practice. And we spend a lot of time inside people's minds. Mm. And it's fascinating. Um, It's incredibly fulfilling. And I think it's freeing. People find that when they get freedom from what they've built in their minds, that they get freedom in their life. Can you, can you, uh, obviously you want to protect your, your client's yeah. confidentiality, but, but maybe more specifics about a, a kind of a case that you dealt with for a client. Well, we always deal with specific circumstances. So 
what's interesting is like people will come to me and I will ask them, um, do you feel like you're confident? And a lot of a lot of women will say yes. Like I'm confident. I know I can perform this job, or you know, I know I can get up and speak in front of a group of people, or whatever it is. And then I'll start to dig around in like a particular situation. Maybe a presentation didn't go as well as they thought. Um, they didn't get the raise that they were expecting to get. And we'll start to kind of deconstruct what they're making that mean. And what I find is that people's confidence is often contingent upon their performance. Mm -hmm. So I am confident so long as these things in my life all look like this, as long as I'm performing to this really high standard and as long as everyone around me tells me I'm doing a good job. But if any of those things fall out of place, I'm kind of shattered and I feel completely defeated. So I will work with someone who has something which from the outside you might look at and go, eh, small setback, no big deal. And they're just sort of feeling tortured by this and feeling like I failed and I'm not doing a good enough job and how can I? And so we'll look at what they're making this particular thing mean and often you know, I, I hate this sort of cheesy overused term of self-love, but often what I find is that people don't have deep self-worth and self-love. They have contingent confidence, particularly successful, you know, women who are kind of balancing a lot. There's a contingent confidence. And what I want to get them to is like a deep, real sense of self-worth. So you're not kind of clinging at your life all the time and panicked that if anything falls out of place, that I'm going to feel like a complete failure. When we talked before the show, I, I mentioned that, that uh, in my own client base, uh, which is largely men, mm-hmm. uh, they face the same sort of issues. So, so tell me about a time when maybe somebody had that uh, self-realization aha moment, that when they flipped the switch and they suddenly started making forward progress. Well, I can use myself, I think, and I feel most comfortable with that because mm-hmm. I can be sure. really open. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have never described myself as a perfectionist if you had asked me that. You know, I was very smart and very educated and thought that I was very emotionally evolved and would never have said I was a perfectionist because not every duck in my life was lined up. You know, I thought, oh, a perfectionist has like everything together all the time. But when I really started to explore my life, I realized I did not move into areas where I couldn't perform extremely well. I didn't want to try things if I couldn't succeed at it. Um, I kind of had this desire to try to be as perfect as possible in all the areas of my life that I had, my house, my appearance, my job, in the classroom. And when I really looked at the definition of, I I was reading Brene Brown's book, The Definition of Perfectionism, which she talks about, it's the desire to sort of be as perfect as possible so you can avoid judgment from others and you can get love. And when I really looked into that, I realized, oh my gosh, this is me. I am someone who feels like I'm running behind my life all the time and trying to sort of reach this perfectionism because I feel like it will prevent me from being judged by other people and that it will bring love into my life. But all it was doing was exhausting me and it was 100% keeping me from being vulnerable. So the biggest characteristic that I needed to connect with people really intimately, my friends and the people around me, is vulnerability. Mm. And I had the hardest time with that because I sort of had built up this expectation in myself that I have to kind of do all these things in my little bubble to as perfect as I possibly can. So that was a huge, huge wake-up moment for me. And that's when I started to really pay attention to what do I say to myself 
about myself? What do I say to myself when things aren't don't live up to the expectation that I give it? What are my expectations for my life and are they even realistic? So when I started to then start to explore my own kind of mind chatter and my own deep sense of self-worth, I was sort of shocked to be in my 30s and think, man, I tricked myself into thinking I had all this confidence and I didn't. And it's why I was depleted. It's why I was exhausted. It's why I felt disconnected from people. So that was life-changing for me. Coaching helped me get there. Positive psychology research helped me get there. And it was definitely a journey where I really worked at it and still keep that as like a top priority in my life. I literally force vulnerability because I have a tendency to be someone who wants to kind of protect that. Um, So yeah, that is certainly who I attract in my practice and often my clients are older versions of me. Talk about mind chatter. (laughs) You you threw that word in there, but what is it? What does it mean? So I talk about mind chatter as um, it's kind of, it's the combination voice in your head. So part of it, I think, is from our primitive brain. Part of it is the part of our brain that's designed to sort of send us fear messages to keep us safe. And it makes sense if we're in the middle of a jungle. Do we call this the, the monkey mind? Yes. Okay. It's like the monkey mind. You know, mm-hmm. in coaching, sometimes we talk the reptile brain. And if we're in a jungle and there's a lion about to eat our face off, it makes sense. But the problem is we're in modern society. Most of the time we're not in immediate danger, but it still sort of shoots. It gives us messages kind of in overdrive a lot. And when you combine that with the cultural messages of expectations that you might have gotten from your family or from the larger society or magazines or television, you can end up with this mind chatter, the voice in your head that's kind of dictating how you're doing, how you're responding. And all of us have that voice and all day long we have kind of a narration. I think that some people really kind of relate to it more, are almost like fused to that voice. And when that voice has a strong negative edge, which a lot of people have like a soldier syndrome voice, like I need to discipline myself into doing better. I need to kind of yell at myself internally and believe that voice to be telling them the truth. So, you know, I sort of thought my mind chatter was just like an objective perspective on my life. I came to find out it was far from an objective perspective. It was like a fear-based reptile brain meeting these larger cultural expectations yelling at me all the time saying like you could be doing better you're not doing good enough why did you mess that up why aren't you happier just very hard on myself and most of my clients have that mind chatter and I think a lot of people don't understand that everybody has it and a lot of people don't understand that it doesn't have to be viewed as objectively true that that mind chatter will tell you things all the time that is completely untrue. That's just based off of a fear or an expectation. So when you're fused to it, it can literally dictate how you feel, which then can have a huge impact on actually what you do, your relationships, and your entire life. Help me understand um, this phenomenon of self-esteem that has been going on for quite some it sounds to me like what you're talking about would go against this whole self-esteem thing that that we have in society where children can do no wrong everybody Mm. gets a prize for showing up this and that kind of stuff and now you're saying the majority of your clients are dealing with mind monkeys which are chattering fear in the background how do we get from this bubble of self-esteem to a group of people that are 
that are scared. Why, why has that happened? Well, and it's so interesting because I don't, you know, there is that phenomenon with the parenting and I don't know, I'm, I'm curious what that will look like for all of those adults. I mean, some of those are millennials. My clients tend to be a little bit older, so they didn't tend to have, I don't think, that same kind of parenting that was like, you, everybody wins and you, know, you get a star for everything. Um, but my clients definitely tend to be, and it's interesting because sometimes there's a clear explanation for where that came from and why they sort of have that heart on themselves. Sometimes there's not. I mean, in my life, it it's not that my parents were um, loving parents and told me I was good enough and said really kind things to me about me and told me to work hard. I think that I got to a point where I found this thing in the classroom and communication where I was like really good at something and I was getting attention for being really good at something. And all of a sudden that sort of clicked for me like, oh, like I'm getting love and affection, I'm getting attention. So then it became this desire to keep trying to build that and build more of that. And like, if I'm good enough, if I'm good enough, people are going to like me. And, you know, so that's kind of where it came from for me. Um, So I don't know. I mean, the self-esteem phenomenon, I just, for me, it always comes back to how to help people have true deep self-worth beyond kind of performance not that you know people can will always evaluate you for your skill set your employers your bosses will always tell you they can always tell you performatively you've done really well here you haven't done so well here when you have an actual real sense of self-worth you can handle that take that in you're comfortable with failures when your self-worth and self-esteem it's just based on that performance. It's like life shattering when someone comes to you and says, no, like you're not performing to our expectation. So I like to tell people to like think about when a baby's born, nobody looks at that little baby and says like, well, you're worthy of love so long as you do the following six things. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everybody says like, what a beautiful, pure, amazing entity. And we just love this little baby. And I often have to come back to that baby with clients and talk about, let's remember you as this little baby, like you were born worthy of love. So if you if you operate from that space, I'm, I'm worthy of love just because I am. And then you allow that sort of perspective to guide you. It doesn't mean you have no standards for yourself or you don't think, hmm, I could have done better. You're not reflexive. It just means that you tend to have a much more compassionate voice inside your head, which ironically allows you to build a bigger life, take more risks, be okay with failing at something, really kind of building the life that feels good for you or that was meant for you. Um, I'm reflecting on my wife, who's yes. a very self-driven uh, lady, lovely lady. Yes. Um, she wakes up with a checklist in her head. Mm. Does your, what you do with a client, does it translate to that mentality? It is um, very individually tailored and so and I think that's what gets tricky about a lot of self-help literature is that it sort of tells people like do these five things to be happy or do these five things to change your life in 10 days or less Um, but really you have to be tuned into what works for you 
what feels empowering for you, what allows you to be at your best. So, you know, some people are going to have that checklist and they're going to feel amazing and productive when they check that off. And some people need to work in spaces that don't have that checklist. I find that people who have work patterns or life choices or career choices that are outside of this traditional expectation of what things should look like often have the hardest time because Mm -hmm. they're listening to that other narrative that says like, that can't be right. That can't work for you. You you need to be more organized. You can't possibly be successful and not be organized. Or you need to be more like this. You can't possibly be successful and be like this. And it's just not true that it is. I'm sure you talk about this in leadership, even connecting to people. It's very individualized and understanding people and really allowing people to build their life in a way that serves them means sometimes really shutting out some of those narratives about how you're supposed to be doing things. This circles back around, I think, to the uh, mind chatter that yes. you're talking about. How? What are some ideas? I, now, you you, uh, you just told me we can't do it in five steps or less, but, <laughs> but, but what are some we things that we could surface. do to uh, shut off the mind chatter? So I talk about kind of... I I can't completely get anyone to shut it off because if your brain's working, it's Mm going to do it, which Mm -hmm. is a good sign. Mm -hmm. So if your mind's chattering, the good news is like you're alive and your mind is trying to keep you alive. So congratulations. The alternative is probably what you don't want. Um, But there is some steps to really starting to not feel a victim to your mind. The first is literally understanding that it's going on. So lots of people are just unconscious of it. They don't even notice that it's happening. They're so fused to it, they're not even paying attention. So the first thing I usually do with people is I have them start to really notice their mind, notice what's going on. When I'm coaching someone, we go back to a very specific incident. I have them go back into that moment and I literally start asking them questions and we look at what their mind's doing so that you can become aware of like what you're making something mean, what you're telling yourself about yourself. Like you just did a presentation and it didn't go well. Let's like look at what did you tell yourself about yourself? What did you then tell yourself about your job? What did you tell yourself about the people around you? People are often surprised when we sort of write it all out. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all the things that I made that mean or that I told myself about myself and other people in that particular moment. So awareness is really key. I then tell people to kind of use this step that I call sticky note or thought bubbling, which is getting distance from the chatter so that you can almost observe it from the outside. I heard this um, speaker once talk about how he had created this app where all of the horrible things he says to himself about himself, he wrote it all out in emails and he had his phone send it to him mm. so he could look at it outside of himself and see how absurd it was. And then he was able to reply to them. And at first I thought it was crazy because I was like, who wants to get a message saying all these horrible things about you? You know, no one wants that every day. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, he's really, he's disconnecting himself from what's going on. So the sticky note or the thought bubble idea is you start, when the thoughts kind of start to spiral, start to view them like you're taking them and putting them on a sticky note and literally visually picture those sticky notes being put out in front of you. Or you can visualize it like the cartoon with the big thought bubble. And all I'm trying to get people to do is kind of see the thoughts so you can have a little, you can't analyze something or even work on rewriting it if you can't see that it's there. So look at it as if it's outside of you and just watch it, just notice 
And usually what happens is people discover, like, I have a top 10 list. And these things keep kind of coming up. And these are Mm. fears I keep having. And these are the things. And then you take those. And those are the things you really start to deconstruct. Is that really true? Is there a way I could look at this differently? Of course, as a coach, I'm going to say that's the stuff you bring to coaching. That's the stuff that I work with and really kind of help you move around and figure out where that came from and how to rewrite that so that it's not holding you back in your Mm. life. Okay. Um, one thing I, I, we probably want to state, you're not a trained psychologist. No. And, and that's, and we need uh, go ahead and make that difference. Yes. There. That's a really mm-hmm. great question. Cause people mm-hmm. often ask me the difference mm-hmm. between, um, a therapist and a coach, a therapist usually is trained to work with someone who may have some kind of clinical mental disorder. So I think about it as the same as a um, doctor versus a personal trainer. Someone with clinical anxiety, clinical depression, bipolar is not going to come to me. I work with people who mentally are healthy. They're they're not looking for medications. They're looking to sort of improve their life. They're at a baseline. Like when you walk into the gym, you don't have a broken leg. You're at an okay baseline, but you might be really out of shape and you want to get in really great shape. So I have life coach training, but I will immediately kind of refer someone out if I feel like they're struggling with depression, clinical anxiety, something of that effect. What I do tends to be more um, sort of behavioral patterns and thought patterns, and it's certainly based on lots of positive psychology and lots of research, but my training is specifically to coaching. And I remember that you... um... You were trained by a particular person. Yes, I was trained by Martha Beck. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a, in case our audience knows something about her, but maybe a quick blurb on what she's about? She's a um, former Harvard PhD, Mm kind of had a similar story to me and then moved into the life coaching world, I think reluctantly. Um, But I just, I liked her combination of scientific research sprinkled with spirituality, sprinkled with positive psychology. It's just like a, it's just kind of a well-rounded approach. And I had been following her stuff for about 10 years, particularly her article. She writes for OWN magazine, Mm -hmm. Oprah's magazine, Mm -hmm. um, and found her um, articles in particular to be unbelievably helpful in my own life. So that's kind of what led me to her training. Um, I took that training because I knew that it would heal me the most and I wanted my training to be some a place where I felt like I became what I wanted to give to my clients. So it was just a really strong healing path for me, which allowed me to show up to my clients as kind of a more whole person. Okay. We have about a minute left and um, I want you to talk about the article that brought us together. Yeah. Uh, you've just been published in Success Magazine, which I think all of our listeners should get. Yes. I, I have no vested interest in it. But, <laughs> right. No kickbacks. But, yeah. But, but what did you write about in that article? Um, they were asking about sort of how to deal with going home for the holidays and how to deal with our loved ones who often trigger us in a lot of ways and what behaviors to kind of tolerate and not tolerate. And so I think the biggest lesson that I sort of gave people in that is that the more we want to change people, the more we suffer. Um, the more we need someone's approval, the more we suffer. So at the heart of kind of what I was offering to readers was this perspective that if you can really accept your relative, your loved one for who they are and create your own boundaries around what you're willing to do, how much you're willing to tolerate, it's the most freeing position. You don't need their approval. You don't need them to change. You just need to do what's right for you. And that kind of frees you from getting stuck in that loop. 
Dr. Aaron Foley has been my guest today on Leadership Moments. Aaron, uh, if people want to know more about you, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, you can look me up at AaronMFoley.com, and anything you need is right there for you to find. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for Leadership Moments with David McNamee. You can schedule an appointment with David by calling 971-204-0373 or email him at dmcnamee at foundationsforleaders.com. David has a wide variety of resources to help you, and you can find those resources at www.foundationsforleaders.com. Take the time to call David this week or contact him through Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or email. And join us every Thursday at 2 p.m. for Leadership Moments right here on KKPZ 1330, The Truth.